0: Well, good evening, everybody. It's it's Wednesday night again, time for close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark's gospel. There is something special, you know, with all the different activities in the church and things starting up, there is still something nice about this time where there's nothing else on the agenda, there's nothing else on the program. All we do is sit down, open our Bibles, and look at the life of Jesus. And, and Paul writes to the church at Corinth and talks about beholding the glory of our Lord and how we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. So it's nice in the middle of the week. Thanks for joining us. Get your Bible and we'll do nothing else, but just look at the text tonight, Matthew six, Mark six, sorry, Mark chapter six. And we're going to look at the first 12 verses. And the subject tonight, I want to look at the nature of unbelief, where it comes from, how it affects us. I have about five thoughts from this text. Unbelief and the nature of genuine discipleship from Mark chapter 6. The first four verses, point number one, people tend to undervalue things with which they are most familiar. So look at the first four verses of chapter 6. He went away from there, that he is Jesus, went away from there, came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands?" Just notice that sentence. It's not that Jesus didn't do anything. These people saw mighty works from Jesus. Okay, it's very clear in that second verse. How are such mighty works done by his hands? Three, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So there were other children. And and they took offense at him, verse three. They took offense at him. So they saw the mighty works, verse 2. And still, verse 3, they took offense at him. Verse 4, and Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. It's interesting. eh? I mean, familiarity, it might not always breed contempt, like the saying says, but it it does breed a kind of... uh, laziness, an indifference, a neglect. The idea here is Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. It it had great responsibility when it came to Jesus because, because Nazareth has had more opportunity than most places to see Jesus close up. So here's where Jesus has his roots. These are the people who, could have known Jesus the best, and yet these are the people who find it hard to believe in Jesus. I mean, there's something interesting in that. I'm I'm thinking about, we studied uh, the the parable of the soils, and one of the soils was this wayside soil that was just packed down. It it wasn't bad soil, just a, a pathway with a lot of traffic on it. And so the seed, Jesus said in that parable, just sat on the top. Does that relate here? Here's Nazareth where they they knew Jesus best, had seen him perhaps the most, and they had the hardest time accepting who he was and believing in him. Does it relate to that part of the parable? What about, or what about verses 23 to 25 of Mark chapter four, where Jesus said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And and still more will be added. Okay, so that's the good soil that produces 30, 60, 100 fold. More will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given. And listen, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And And so... Here's these people of Nazareth. They know Jesus the best. They've seen him the most. They find it the hardest to believe. And, and, and Jesus tells in that parable, if, if, you, if you have these opportunities, the things you hear, the things you know, if you don't apply them and gear them into your life, they're taken away. Taken away doesn't mean these people became atheists. Taken away means what the opportunities they had, the things they had a chance to learn and see they, they lost impact. Stuff became spiritually lifeless, flavorless. I remember how easy it can be to have uh, hard hearts to the truths we hear the most. I was speaking with a pastor of a pretty large church, and... Uh, I could relate. Trying so hard to do everything well, do everything with excellence. And he, and he said to me, remember, excellence is only excellence for the first 30 days. After that, it's just your new way of doing things, your new norm. We, 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 we so take for granted the things to which we have the most exposure. And, and the other thing you kind of learn here, these people in Nazareth who, who seem to have the hardest time, seeing the greatness and the uniqueness of Jesus and responding to it. We, we learned the principle that renewal will most likely come through heeding things we've already heard, applying things we already know. It's not probably going to be something brand new, but that the edges get worn off of the things we know best. So, so unbelief, unbelief isn't always drastic. Unbelief isn't always willful. Unbelief is usually more drift than rejection. And so here's these people in Nazareth. That's the first point. We tend to undervalue the things with which we're the most familiar. Point number two. Notice the the nature of sin in human hearts. It's in verses five and six. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he, that's Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. So, so he could do no mighty work there. Those are amazing words. I mean, he says he healed a few people. He could do no mighty work there. That's the way Mark describes it. So as as great as the power of Christ was and is, it's it's almost as though Jesus self-limits on the basis of human response and faith and trust. That's why I think whenever the church Gathers, we gather this way now, very shortly, we're going to be gathering together Sunday mornings. Very important that when the church gathers, there's always a, a warm response, a receptiveness. it's not just the presence of Jesus, it's our receiving of the presence of Jesus that makes such a difference. These people that says it says they acknowledge the power of His miracles. Yet they refuse to yield to him as their Lord. That that would cost that would cost their self-interest. A lot of people don't see unbelief unbelief as a punishable sin. We we tend to think of our guilt before God in terms of actions: lying, stealing, adultery. Unbelief is is the root, though it goes underneath these things. It's the attitude of our hearts. The the humble submissiveness of our wills to the lordship of Jesus. Unbelief is what causes all the other sins. That's why most people on the street feel they'll be relatively safe on judgment day because they've been reasonably moral. So they they don't see unbelief in Jesus as like a punishable sin. Yet the text Mark deals with this in a couple places. The measuring stick by which we will be judged. I look at Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe. That's all. That's all. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's Mark 16, 16. Or or John 3, 36. Listen to these words. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Unbelief. Unbelief makes people deny even the clearest evidence. You can see in the first six verses, we see the outworking of that truth. Jesus stressed in Mark 4, 24 and 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So unbelief is unbelief is usually not rooted in the intellect. We We tend to think of it that way. Not enough evidence, not enough proof. Oh, if only there was more evidence, I'd believe. Usually unbelief isn't rooted in the intellect. Where you see that dealt with really clearly is in John 3.19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's the coming of Jesus. The light has come into the world. People love darkness rather than the light. Why? Is it because they couldn't get their heads around it too hard to understand? No, no. Because their deeds were evil. So you see the nature of of, uh, unbelief. It's a sin. It's a judgeable sin. It's usually not rooted in the intellect. It's rooted in our love for our self-willed lives rather than acknowledging. Once you acknowledge who Jesus is, there are implications to that. And our fallen hearts tilt in the opposite direction. Point number three. The true path of being a disciple starts to take shape in these verses. Mark 6, 7 to 11. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, not to put on two tunics, And he said to them, whenever you enter a house and stay there until you depart from there, and if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you. So receiving them has to do with listening to their message. He's very clear. If any place will not receive you, will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. What strange words. As far as we know, this account that we're reading now, it's the last time Jesus tried to minister in the temple. Uh, the time is getting short. Jesus knows his time is short. And so like, like Jesus, uh, John had disciples, but John's disciples were basically learners. So Jesus has disciples, but they aren't just learners. Jesus' disciples are followers. They're, they're emissaries. They are ambassadors. So Jesus recognizes now that more ground will be covered as he comes to his death, resurrection, ascension. More ground will be covered by a trained band of, of, of disciples. This is, this is what discipleship is. This is still what discipleship is. That relationship to Jesus, not just of, okay, so this verse says this, this verse says that, this verse says that. So we learn about Jesus and what he said and who he was but discipleship only starts with that it doesn't finish with that trained followers ambassadors for christ point number four notice in that text the verses 7 8 9 10 and 11 of mark 6 you have this this punishment for unbelief it's in the 11th verse These strange words, and if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, notice how Matthew deals with this very same account, but he expands on it in a bit of a different way. Listen to the same account from Matthew chapter 10, verses 11 to 16. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. That's a strange phrase. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Listen here. 15 of Matthew 10. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's that 15th verse. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah then, then for you. So the disciples will go. They will come into a house. They will share the message, the message of Jesus. If the people receive it, that house is worthy. They will share the message of Jesus. Some people will just reject it. People still do. They won't believe, unbelief. They won't believe the message. Does that matter? And if it matters, how much does it matter? And that's where those really striking words come in. How much does unbelief in Jesus count? Well, truly, 15, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. More bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. How did God judge Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, we know how we judge Sodom and Gomorrah. The account is in the scriptures. People who don't believe the message of Jesus, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for these people in the day of judgment. And the only reason I'm stressing it is because there's a pretty uh, common teaching that comes, Brian Zahn and and a host of of a group of theologians in that camp. And, And the idea is this, that God is not a God of wrath who actually judges. What happens is people reject God's love in Jesus Christ. They go their own way. And when you leave And when you leave the love and grace of Jesus, all that's left is sin. And of course, sin brings these horrible consequences, kind of like reaping what you sow. So when you reject Jesus and you go your own way, it's not that God has wrath or judgment. It's that you end up ruining your life. You create a a terrible, terrible existence for yourself because, well, that's all that's left. That's what sin does. And all I'm saying is it doesn't look like it in this text nor any other text for that matter. That truly, Jesus is saying, don't miss this. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment. There's a day of judgment coming. It's not just how we might mess up our lives in this present life. There's a day of judgment coming. People who reject the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those people. Like those are really striking words. Remember, this is Nazareth. People who had heard the most, seen the most, had the most in terms of opportunity. Greater light, greater opportunity, bring greater accountability. Five. Verse 12. The message they preached was tailored for the kind of sin from which people needed deliverance. So they went out and proclaimed, that people should repent. People who don't believe need to repent. People who look to other religions and other saviors need to repent. People that want to live life on their own terms, even if they never rob a bank or or lie or cheat or steal, they need to repent. Unbelief requires repentance. This is the specific sin that the Holy Spirit wants to deal with in their lives. I was looking at John 16, 8 and 9. And when he, that's the spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict people for not believing in Jesus. It's important to note, you know, that these these ambassadors, these followers, Jesus sends them out. Nazareth isn't receiving the message. He sends them out and, and they aren't free to tailor the message to what people want to hear. There's no marketing done here. They have the words, the message of Jesus they proclaim it and they call people to repent. This is not intolerance. This is God's way of bestowing grace to unbelievers. And so, and so this is what we do. It's what we do at our church. It's what we do around the world. Call people to repent and call them to believe in Jesus. And that's still, it's still the only way to find life and life more abundant. That's our study on unbelief from Mark chapter 6. Let's pray. Thank you again just for these precious moments that we have where we get to sit down and shape. We don't want to just learn. We want to shape our thoughts as your Holy Spirit takes the, the words of your word and carves them into our hearts and minds. we all might have people who we know don't believe. Give us wisdom and grace to show your word and the love of Jesus that people might have a chance to repent and receive the light of the gospel in their lives. Bless our church. All the things we have coming down the road. We need your guidance. We need your direction. We need your help and care over all of our lives. So bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't forget Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, keeping your joy, the heartfelt theology of an isolated prisoner. Sunday morning, I want to look at those words. What does Paul mean when he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Everybody knows those words. Theologians argue about them. But I think there's some precious truth there that we'll be studying Sunday morning. Sunday night, we'll be back at 6.30 in our series on Repentance. Wanting to is good. Knowing how is even better. We'll be studying the obstacles to religious people repenting. There seem to be a particular set of problems that that the religious people of the day had, had to deal with in terms of their own repentance and following of Christ. That's what we'll be studying on Sunday night. So God bless you, church. Stay in the word. Love one another.